Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. everyone. My guest today is Natalie Nidham. Nat is a self-proclaimed science geek with a passion for human health. She's a certified holistic nutritionist and a Pierron Academy epigenetic coach and a member of the first graduating class of Bulletproof Training Institute. In her teens, she fought with ongoing health and digestive issues. She learned many years later to tap into her body's own healing and repair mechanisms, which is what brought her to the field of holistic health. Natalie's unique method blends an array of human performance fields like neuroscience, personalized nutrition, nutraceuticals, biohacking, ancestral health, and resilience training. A few years ago, Nat came across a presentation on peptides at a conference, and to say that she was blown away would be an understatement. As a lifelong learner, she fell deep into the rabbit hole, and the rest, as they say, is history. As a result of this journey, Nat launched a Facebook community called Biohacking Superhuman Performance that has blossomed to over 9,400 members and a podcast called Biohacking Superhuman Performance that is often ranked in the top 100 nutrition podcasts in the U.S. I invited Nat onto my podcast today to talk about optimizing one's health. For those of you who have heard me speak before, you know that I talk about finding your own unique health equation and that it takes time, diligence, fails and successes, patience, and daily commitment. Back in the day, I wanted so badly to believe that we could live our life off the earth and be purists. Yes, I was a bit of a flower child. While there are still many folks out there who still may believe that this is true, I am on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to overall health. I do not believe it's possible to optimize our health without the support of some combination of supplements, therapeutic sauna, cold water therapy, IV therapy, peptide therapy, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, thyroid meds, and so forth. Everyone's equation is different, and Nat is here to help us understand how lifestyle and support from these different mechanisms and therapies connect for each and every one of us. Welcome, Nat. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you so much, Jill. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I always want to, you know, shine the light on what you are accomplished, you know, what you're what your vibe is all about. And I'm Thank really you. excited to talk to you. So, but before we dive into some questions, a little medical disclaimer. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to all of my guests on my podcast. So Nat, tell us, I, I know I just gave you a nice bio, but just Tell us a little bit more on how you came to this space and, and what really sparked your curiosity. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, I, I started off in life always being interested in science. So when I was at school, I studied science. I studied human physiology in college. And um, and yet, you know, my path, my my life path was pretty varied. I actually ended up working in advertising uh, in the corporate world for most of my adult life. Um, but the way that I kind of kept my finger in, in health or whatnot, it was, uh, was that I was always a fitness instructor. And, mm. um, 
And, you know, sometimes at, at like basically in my late 30s, early 40s, it came, I, I just realized, you know what, what I really wanted to do was, was health. I'd, I'd always been reading books and learning about the paleo diet and the ancestral diet and Weston A. Price and all these different things. And, and I just decided that I just, I was going to go back to my first love and I was going to go back to school. I was going to study nutrition. And, um, and that was my first kind of step back in was when I became a holistic nutritionist and, you know, my whole, as it said in the intro, you know, I've always, I've always considered myself fairly healthy. And yet I had, had all these weird kind of things going on in my life. I have a very reactive immune system. I've had candida issues off and on for most of my life. I've had a lot of digestive issues and, you know, looking at my family, looking around me, looking at how people were developing these chronic diseases over time, there was always this thing that I never really believed that it kind of has to be that way. And so when I went back to school to become a nutritionist, it was really with the goal of saying, well, what is it that we can do to, to help the body? And, and so that just kind of, you know, it kind of domino effect, it kind of created this domino effect where after becoming a nutritionist, I was also kind of had a foot in this whole biohacking world quite a long time ago now, like almost 10 years ago. And so Dave Asprey at that time had just, was just announced that he was launching this human potential coach training program. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do that. Which, you know, my husband was like, what do you mean you're doing another course? You just got out of school. I'm like, no, I'm doing that too. And that was really interesting because that really moved me into this whole space of, of going outside of what you were talking about beyond food, beyond, you know, what are the lifestyle things? What are the things we can do to help our body to become more resilient, both in terms of what we do, what we take, but also how we think and how we feel and, and it, it was a really interesting training that way, because it's really about coaching and helping people through their own, their own inner story and hurdles, right? We all have a story Absolutely. And, and understanding our story can sometimes bring, shed some light into some of the things that might be holding us back. And even when it comes to health or professionally or whatever the case may be. So, so that was a really interesting kind of segue. And then the other thing that I was always very fascinated about, I mean, apparently I'm a fascinated person because there's lots of things that catch my attention, um, was genetics and epigenetics. And so I did some continuing education courses through the, the nutrition school that I attended in Canada. But then the same time that I was introduced to peptides, I was introduced to a Puron, which is uh, Dan St Dr. Dan Stickler's organization. And they were, they have a really interesting genomic panel. And I ended up signing on to become one of their coaches. And also because what I really wanted was access to their peptide course. So right. I kind of did both. That's when I started the Facebook group. That's kind of when I started my own podcast. Not long after that, I started a YouTube channel, mostly just to get people to talk to me about peptides, <laughs> who knew right. a lot more than I did. And, you know, and so almost, you know, two and a half, three years later, here we are. Isn't it incredible how we think we're healthy, right? We might be eating the foods that we read to, about to eat and doing the exercise and doing all the things, yet still there's these underlying lingering health issues. And some are obvious and some are not so obvious until they become obvious, right? They're just progressive yeah. in nature. Yeah. And that, that brings me to my first question for you. Can humans be purists? Can we reach our fullest potential, both in health and fitness, 
just doing all the right things in our lifestyle alone, stress management, eating well, and what is eating well for each person, right? And, and sleeping and exercising and having healthy, positive relationships. You know, is it possible? I think it depends. You have to qualify what you mean, right? And it depends where you live. So, you know, the, I think what's happening right now is there's this movement towards people you know, people just used to only want, they just wanted to stay kind of healthy and they accepted that their health was going to decline and their function was going to decline. Their vitality was going to decline as they moved, you know, past their sixties, their seventies, by the time they're in their eighties, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I should be achy or I should be slowing down or, oh yeah, I'm forgetful, but well, what can you do? You know, that's right. how old I am, that kind of thing. And I think it's become to people's attention that it doesn't have to be this way. But right. mother nature's intention for us is that once we're done, and, and this is my belief, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, if you look at it from a, from an anthropological perspective, let's say, or I don't know if anthropological is the right lens to, to name, but once we're done with our reproductive years, we're kept around, if, if you look at it from a, an ancestral perspective, we'd have usefulness in terms of helping to rear, to raise the next the next, next generation. Right. Right. But mother nature's like, well, you know what, you don't need to reproduce. You're not reproducing anymore. So you're of limited use. So there's this allowable kind of decline in health and in vibrancy, if you will. Our expectation now is that there won't be that decline. Our expectation is that we're going to start our next career in our fifties or our sixties. Our expectation is that, and our desire is that in our 70s and our 80s and our 90s, we're still going to be doing really cool shit. We're going to be traveling. Yeah. We're going to be exploring things. We're going to be learning. We're going to be contributing. We're going to be vital. And if that's our outcome, if that's our desired outcome, I think that we have to do a certain amount of beyond diet and lifestyle and natural stuff, if you will, to, to prevent that natural decline from happening so that we can kind of flatten that curve at the very least. And so if what we're trying to do is turn back the clock, if we're trying to do if what we're trying to do is regenerate our organs and restore our telomere length or, um, you know, reverse our biological age, all of these things are possible. But if that's what we want to do, then most likely we're going to have to go beyond just eating a healthy diet. And and the other thing is that especially if we live in in big cities, so maybe if you're living on a mountaintop that is pristine, drinking pristine water if there even is such a place as a place that has no EMFs, like if you were able to go back to that environment and eat from the land and, may, and, and be comfortable enough that you wouldn't be subjected to the hardships of living that life, you maybe you could live a really, really long and productive life. But I think for those of us living in big cities where the chronic stressors on us, both real and emotional and whatever it is, are just increasing and increasing day by day by day, I think more and more it's taking us having to intervene in some way, shape or form to off offset that impact on our physiology. That's so a really you, long answer. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a great answer. And it, it's a great segue into epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that word before. And for my, um, my listeners out there who might not be familiar with that term, tell us what epigenetics are and the role it plays in our overall health and wellness. 
Okay. So if we let's start with your genes, right? So you're born with a certain genetic makeup. And I, excuse me, and I like to refer to that as your blueprint. And I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> excuse me. Gesundheit. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so your 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 blueprint or your or your actually your 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 factory settings, right? So you inset you inherit a set of genes from both of your parents. You're going to have dominance one way or the other. So for example, someone might have a gene that is, and your genes are switched. Think of them as switches, right? There's an on, there's an off, and sometimes there's a middle ground, and those genes basically control the production of proteins that perform different functions in your body. And so how those genes express, you may have a gene that, that says that you're, you know, you, you have a higher, you may have a set of genes that say you have a higher predisposition or a higher risk of developing type two diabetes, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to develop type two diabetes, what it means is that you have now an option that says your tolerance of eating a certain way might actually put you over the line and make you a diabetic versus okay. your next door neighbor who actually can eat completely differently from you and have no risk of type 2 diabetes. And so the epigenetics is the influence that, that is exerted by the environment on your genes. Some of that, we, a lot of it, we have control over whether it's our diet, whether it's whether or not we exercise, whether it's the toxins that we're exposed to, but it can also be your stress levels. Like chronic stress is a massive epigenetic influence on how our genes express. So think of epigenetics as the forces or the external forces, and external can even be inside of you, if you will, mm -hmm that affect how those, those, um, those genes get flipped on and off or what position the gene button gets put onto. And on top of that, everybody out there has various biochemical and genetic roadblocks that we might be very unaware of that can also inhibit us from reaching our optimal health. And those mixed in with epigenetics that we create around us or don't create around us and we just happen to be there, that can create a lot of health problems. And so what are some of those genetic roadblocks that you've seen that could be in someone? Like for me, a roadblock could be my genetic SNP of the MTHFR. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, I look at menopause. And my, I have half a thyroid, so I have a thyroid issue. So these are all my biochemical and genetic roadblocks that inhibit me reaching optimal health without the help of exogenous things like supplements. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I think, I mean, for me, the word roadblock is a bit too concrete because it implies something that can't be overcome. I think these are genetic variants, if you will, that once you understand them and once you know what their impact is, then you can learn how to mitigate them, right? So you know, what's really interesting about MTHFR is people are very concerned about whether or not they're methyl over-methylators, under-methylators, that kind of thing. But really, if you look at it on paper, something like 70% of the population are over-methylators or under-methylators. 
And yet only 20% of them present that way. So, right. So you have to be, and this is why when people are doing a genetic report or they say to me, well, I want to run my genes because I want to know what's going on with me. I'm like, okay, that's great. But your, your genetic report alone is not going to tell us that much. What we, it's going to give us an indication of what your factory settings were, as I said before, but then what we need to look at is what is your reality? Like, how do you feel? What is your health? Like, what does, what does your blood work say? What are your health conditions? And now we can start, these are all like basically pieces of the puzzle that we can start to put together so that we can influence, to use your term, your roadblocks. So when it comes to hormones, for example, you know, the way that I process my hormones might be different than how you process your hormones. And so for me, for example, I will, my, my genetic tendency is to shunt my estrogens into the more toxic form of estrogen, not versus the less toxic or the more protective form of estrogen, which is the 2OH versus the 4OH and the 16OH. But knowing that, even though I've, I've chosen to do bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, knowing that I have these tendencies just means that I'm going to keep a closer eye on those downstream metabolites. So I may run an extra test like, um, like a Dutch panel once a year or so, and I'm going to take certain supplements that help to offset those pathways. So I might use DIM, for example, which supports my phase one pathway, and I might use indole-3-carbinol, which will offset the, sec- the phase two pathway. So, so it's really like the cool thing about getting those genetics looked at and understanding those SNPs is then being able to p- kind of put it together with what's happening with you. And then being able to make a plan that says, okay, if I have this and that, then if I do this, that should help to offset whatever it is. For those of the people listening, and they've they've probably do not come across SNPs very often if they're going to a traditional medical doctor. Um, So when people go to a traditional medical doctor, and they're just getting basic blood panels taken, and they're mm-hmm. not finding out all of this deep dive information, the puzzle pieces. How detrimental is that to their outcome? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think the challenge with conventional medicine that I think is starting to be addressed by more functional medicine providers and different types of practitioners is that in conventional medicine, the tendency is to look at how the person is presenting today and treating the problems as they arise, typically, right? And I'm generalizing here. There are some doctors who may not function that way, but generally speaking, that's what they're doing. And so there's less, there's not really a, there's not a process of, well, why? Why is this happening? What is it under the hood that's driving this problem? Because that might lead to a different solution than giving someone, um, you know, like a blood sugar medication, right? So, you know, in the case of, for example, type 2 diabetes, typically what we see is that a person's fasting blood glucose is going to be trending upwards over the years. Mm -hmm. So you have two things at play. Number one is that the, the normal range that's defined by conventional medicine tends to be much broader than what would be considered optimal by a functional provider, right? right. So your functional provider is kind of like the teacher does, doesn't really let you get away with much. That's the teacher that's like, yeah, that answer is not good enough. 
exactly. I, want, I want the full answer. This is not going to cut it. You're not getting full marks for this. The, the, the conventional medical doctor is more of the, yeah, you know what? You're close enough. We're good. It's fine. I'm going to pass you. The problem with that is that by the time things have gone south, you're, you've already pretty much fallen off the cliff. And one of the things that I think we all know, and that is important to keep in mind is that disease doesn't happen in a week. Cardiovascular disease doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't happen because you ate the wrong thing last week, or you had too much wine last month. This has been building for decades. So the downside is this has been building for decades. The upside is you, there's a lot of time to, to remove things in a different direction. The problem is you need someone who's looking out for the signs and is going to give you that feedback and then help you to develop the tool set to change the outcome. And so when you have a new client walk through your office or, you know, virtually. My, my virtual Zoom your, room. Your virtual yeah. Zoom room, right? <laughs> Got to remember we're in COVID. Um, what are the basic tests that you would run? And I mean, basic from a functional medicine perspective that would give you a bunch of pieces of the puzzle for you to have a really good look at what's going on. Yeah. So first of all, I'm not a medical doctor. So let's, we need to clarify that. And so if I'm, if I'm working with people, so I tend to work with people that are looking to, they're looking to optimize and, and, and um, move the, move the needle on their longevity. Right. But everybody who's going to walk through my Zoom room, as you as we said, is going to have some degree of something that's keeping them suboptimal. So either it's a digestive issue or maybe their blood sugar is not great or whatever the case may be. So very often what I'll do is I will partner with a functional medicine doctor because I need, we need to know what those labs are. We need to understand what's, what does the blood work look like so that we know, you know, is there an issue with triglycerides? Is there an issue with cholesterol? Like, what is it that we need to be really targeting right now? So hope, hoping to bring it back into balance so that then once we get us back to baseline, then we can start shooting for the stars as it were. Um, but the other test, the test that I will do is I will run a biological age test for my clients. And what that tells them is, you've been around the sun, let's say 50 times, your birth certificate says you are 50 years old, but your cells might tell a different story. Mm -hmm. And what we're measuring here is DNA methylation patterns. And this was developed by Dr. Horvath using the Horvath clock. Mm -hmm. And those cells are going to give us an, an indication of what is your rate of aging versus your age. So if you're aging faster than your age, we know that if you're seven years older, then your biological age, you actually have a 50% higher chance of all-cause mortality than somebody else your age who is not showing up as seven years older. Conversely, if you're seven years younger, then you have a 50% less chance of all-cause mortality. Doesn't mean you can't walk out the door and get hit by a bus, mm -hmm. but it means that most likely from, in terms of the DNA methylation patterns on your DNA, you seem to be aging more slowly. They also, uh, True Diagnostics, which is the test that I use, also um, look at your immune age. Like they look at the balance between CD4, CD8, which are you know immune markers in your blood. And so- and they will give you an estimated rate of aging. And that, that age of age, rate of aging, we ideally want it to be less than one. It can be, as far as we know, it can be as low as 0.65. I'm not sure who made up that number, but that's maybe the best they've seen. But basically we, we know that by doing things right, 
we can slow this down, even if you're seven years older today. So the biological age test I find is really, for people who are willing to walk through that door is really helpful. And so you, second, you, yeah, yeah, you mentioned, I'm sorry, you mentioned telomeres before. Mm -hmm. So is that test covering that? And can you tell our listeners what that actually is, what that means? Right. So those are two different tests. So actually it's the same test, but those yeah. are two different markers, if you will. So DNA methylation is the methylation patterns on your DNA. Telomere length. So telomeres, if, you, if you've ever seen um, a picture of DNA, of your genetic material, it's like two beautiful strands kind of wound together, and then they have tails. Well, those tails, people describe them as um, the, I can't remember the name, but those those solid pieces on your shoelaces. Right, the little plastic ends. Yeah, I, I know they have a name, I just can't think of it right now. And we know that our DNA replicates, right? It, it, right. it replicates repeatedly, but every time it replicates, think of it as taking a little snip off the bottom of that telomere. And the more, and once the telomere gets to a certain shortness, let's not call it length, once it loses enough length, once it gets too short, the DNA molecule is no longer able to replicate. And I believe that's called the Hayflick, um, it's the Hayflick number or something. So it's a de designated number of num times that the DNA can replicate. What, what, what we know is that there's an enzyme called the telomerase enzyme. And that telomerase enzyme can help to lengthen the telomeres. And so there are strategies and people are still exploring them and we can get into the world of certain types of peptides can help to lengthen telomeres. There's certain uh, supplements that are said to be able to lengthen telomeres as well, all by turning on this telomerase enzyme. And so again, looking at telomere length, we can then say, well, your telomere length is consistent with that of someone of the age of, mm -hmm. right? Based on this big database that they have looking at right. millions right. of people. And so in a perfect world, your telomeres match up with those of someone younger than you so that you, let's say, have more runway on your DNA. Right, right. That's there are so that. many amazing tests out there from these crazy cool labs and, um, and it's scientists. It, yeah. It's increasing every day, right? There's another one called the glycan age that I just, that I just ran. And that's about glycation on your cells. And so, you know, there's, there's going to be more and more, um, and none of them are the be all end all, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't really hang your hat a hundred percent on any of these things, but what they are is they're markers and they give us a relative baseline so that, and so why I will do these tests when people come in the door is because it gives us a starting point. And if after a year, we can then test again and see, have we moved the needle based on these tests? Right. And we're talking about personalized medicine and personalized nutrition is, is incorporated yeah. into that. And this is something that is so interesting to me. Um, and it can cost a lot of money, right? And it's, it's, yeah. it's a crime. I, I know you're in um, Toronto and here in the United States, you know, our insurance companies will not cover mm -hmm. any functional medicine. Everything is cash pay and it's not accessible to everybody, but it is really cool stuff. Um, and I like to dabble in all the tests so that I can see the results and how it works and maybe try a protocol here and there so that I know I can help my clients in that way if they're interested. For but sure. we're, so we're talking about this, this notion of personalized medicine. 
what all does that encompass um, and how do you implement that in with one of your clients? Yeah. So basically, I mean, and the other test I will run for people also is that I will encourage them to get their genetics done so that we understand yeah. that, that basic. And I mean, and again, like, I don't like to call it medicine because I don't practice medicine, <laughs> but, you know, personalized health is really, it's where we bring together what based on a person's genetics, based on their lifestyle, based on their goals, based on their state of health, based on their health history, we're going to bring all of these pieces together and we're going to develop with the client because really, you know, I think one of the most important things that people really have to get their heads around. And, you know, I know that Americans look at the Canadian health system and say, oh my God, you guys are so lucky. You have insurance, everything's paid for. But here's the dark side is if you need an MRI here, you could be waiting a year. Right. And, and you know how I know that? Because I, when I, before we got on the podcast, I was um, telling Nat that I, my youngest son plays professional hockey up in um, Toronto and he did need an MRI a few weeks ago. And it, we almost flew him back to the United States to get it because it was so incredibly hard to get it for him, even through his professional hockey team. Yeah. But he finally got it because he was with a professional hockey team. Exactly. I can tell you that if he was Joe Blow on the street, he'd still be waiting unless yep. he knew someone somewhere, right? Yep. So, yep. and you know, they won't test your vitamin D3 here unless you pay for it. Or mm -hmm. if you wanted to run a a particle analysis of your of your blood cholesterol, you can't get it done. Mm. Right. You have to go to the States. So there's, I, I don't, I think the, the things are different. The way that I look at the cost of the testing and, and this type of journey, if you will, in health is that it's an investment. Yes. It's an investment in your future. It's an investment in avoiding illness and the misery and the pain and the lost quality of life that being sick entails. So, you know, maybe look at it as putting your money up front in upfront rather than waiting to, first of all, have to put out the money in healthcare costs. And secondly, suffer the consequences because you, right. you talk to someone who's sick and there's no amount of money they wouldn't pay to not be sick. And we take for granted how healthy we are and really, truly, anybody who is well enough to be sitting up in a chair, breathing and listening to this is ahead of the game. Because I, you know, through this Facebook group that I run, I can tell you that I come across people, it is heartbreaking what people are dealing with from, in terms of health challenges. And, um, and I think that those people would, would do anything and pay anything to, if they, if, if they, and we don't always know what could have avoided them getting there. But if there was, if somebody had said to them 10 years ago, here's what your future life is going to look like. If you're willing to spend $10,000 on your health today, yeah, you might yeah. be able to avoid that. I don't think there's too many of those people that wouldn't fork out the money. Yeah. You know, either way you're spending the money, right? So if there's, yeah. if there are some shortcuts and they are accessible to you, I'm always in the favor of taking the shortcut and let's just find out everything and yeah. then get a precise plan geared just for you. We're all different. Yeah. I know I have faced health issues for decades with because of half of a thyroid that mm -hmm. I had taken out almost 30 years ago at this point. And it has caused me immense amount of other cascading health 
issues. For sure. As I am now in menopause, I can see the effects, the really deep, dark effects of that half a thyroid. And to me, I'll take all of these tests to find out my genetics, my cellular functioning, my how are these nutrients getting into my cell or not getting into my cell? Where am I deficient in? Because I at you know almost 54 and with five kids. And like you were saying in the beginning of this podcast, you know, we're done bearing children, but I'm going to have a ton of grandchildren and I want to be vibrant. (laughs) Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to weigh the pros and cons when they're not that accessible, but, um, totally worthwhile in my book. For sure. And I think that there's always going to be a path for people. I mean, not everybody's going to necessarily be able to afford all the things and all the toys, but there's a lot people can be doing. Right. And yes. unfortunately, it requires reassessing what we take for granted as what we do as a society. Right. Um, like what we do as a society is we might lead a very sedentary life because we're really busy because we don't have time or we want to watch all of our TV shows or we might stay up really late at night, whether it's watching TV or scrolling on our phones or whatever the case may be, basically saying, you know, that expression, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, the problem with that expression is you're going to be dead a lot sooner if you don't sleep, because when you sleep is when your body is repairing and restoring itself. And so as a society, we've kind of internalized these, oh, you don't need to sleep, go hard, keep working, keep doing what you're doing. And it doesn't matter what you eat. It's all, it's just about calories anyway. Food's just fuel, which is a completely ridiculous idea. Food is information to your cells. So what you eat, when you eat, how you eat it, your state of mind when you eat it has everything to do with how that food is able to fuel and nourish and, and, and bring regeneration to your body. Managing your stress is, is another one. But then, you know, when we look at these other societal things, like, you know, I'm, I, because I've never been a big alcohol drinker, it blows my mind how hard it is for people to give up alcohol and oh, how yeah. close they are to the idea that it's not that it's a right. It's not that it's, um, it's not a need. Like, let's be clear. Like, this is something that you've chosen. And, you know, all these people who are telling you all the benefits, the health benefits of wine and the health benefits of this and that and the other thing, they're kind of not that different than the drug company selling their drugs. Like at the end of the day, they're pushing a product. You do not need alcohol and it is not good for you. So It is not good for you. And I can tell you as someone, I have the MTHFR genetic SNP and um, a genetic SNP is for those of you listening is basically our genes, like Nat was saying, turn on and off. But sometimes there's a little rusty part in that switch. Mm -hmm. And that rusty part makes it really difficult to turn on or off that gene. And it has a cascading negative impact on lots of other biochemical things going on in our body. And one of those things that makes it really difficult when you have a genetic SNP is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Really? So if you're someone who drinks alcohol, like three sips of wine, and it takes you three days to recover, you probably have a genetic SNP. Or or your liver. Yeah. Or your liver's exhausted and it can't deal with it. You've got fatty liver or, you know, and fatty liver can happen for any number of reasons, certainly from diet, from alcohol, from different lifestyle choices. So 
for sure. You know, and, and I just think that I, I mean, we hosted, um, an event for my husband's, um, company here last night and, you know, talking to some fairly young people who nonchalantly are just really all about, you know, oh my God, I can't cope with my life unless I come home and drink every night. And, you know, I've learned, I've learned from experience. I don't say much right. <laughs> situation like that <laughs> because it's just better not to, right? right. I mean, right. Unless someone is really seeking out your, your support and your help and looking to change. It's not, it, it doesn't serve anybody to make them feel bad about what they're doing. If they want to question it, they want any information. I'm always an open book, yeah. but it's, it, I, it does strike me that, um, I've even like worked with clients and, and they made huge progress when we were working together. And six months later, you know, I'll be can come in contact with them or somebody will reach out to me and they've gone right back to where they were. And they're back with the same issues that they came to me with. Absolutely. That they spent thousands of dollars solving. They came out the other side. They're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. I can go back to playing the sports I love. I can do these things. It's, I feel so good. And now they've gone right back to square one and they're like, eh, you know. I'm good. Right. Right. What can you do? Right. I have clients that, that, um, tell themselves they'll just have one drink every Saturday night. That will be their night. They're going out with their partner or their husband. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the night they have that drink. And it, it might just seem like, you know, nothing, just one glass of wine a week, but it is something. If on the other end of that glass of wine, it takes you two days to recover from that. That's that's something to look at. That's a, that's a red flag right there. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's, it's very individual, right? So for some people, one glass of wine and, and, you know, here's the other interesting thing. I think it also depends on what else you're doing. And we talk a lot in this business about resilience, So how resilient is your system? And it may be that if you're doing so many other things right, if you're in a really great state of health, your liver's in good shape, your, you know, your, your blood lipids are great, you're feeling good, you're moving, you're managing your stress, you're eating great food, and you have one night a week where you have a glass of wine, you're freer with your diet, whatever the case may be, if your body can cope with that and you feel good, there's nothing wrong with it. But then, but to your point, the next person, that one glass of wine could be a headache for two days or feeling sluggish the next day or whatever the case may be. So yeah. a big part of it is understanding where you are, understanding how you respond to different, to different stimuli, if you will, or different in, in inputs from your environment. And then taking that into account, and maybe if it takes you two days to recover from a glass of wine, maybe that's a sign that says you it's time to start paying attention. Maybe it's time to start working on your microbiome, and it's time to start working on healing your gut, and time to start working on all of these other things that just might be able to raise your health up to a point where you can definitely handle that glass of wine. So it's really... You know, it's, there's no, I I don't like to say that there's hard lines in the sand. There sometimes are for, for different circumstances, but our goal is to get someone to a place where they're so resilient that they can, they have more wiggle room. They basically have more buffer. But I think the, the other thing I want to say about that, and this sometimes is buried in your genes. There are some people who do have certain genes that predispose them to more addictive aspects in their personality. 
Yes. And you guys, you know who you are. You know that you're the person who, if they open a bottle of wine, will not stop until the wine is gone. You open a box of chocolates, you will not stop until the chocolate is gone versus your friend Susie, who can eat a chocolate and step away from the box and be really happy until tomorrow. There's actually a gene that it's nicknamed the cookie jar gene, because in those people, if you have a certain variant of that gene, the minute that you eat sugar, it literally flips a switch in your brain. It drops your inhibitions and you will not stop until the sugar is gone. Right. That is me. That is me. I have that. I have that gene when it comes to something like chocolate, but my, my mom apparently doesn't have that gene because she'll say I had four dark chocolate morsels and I'm fine. Like four. I mean, who does that? That's nothing. It doesn't even like cover, you know, a tenth of the palm of my hand. That's nothing, right? Yeah. I am that person. So that makes total sense. When I eat chocolate, it lights my brain on fire and it's like an outer body experience. So I know that if I'm going to start, I have to make sure there's like none, almost none there. So mm-hmm. I can't keep going yeah. or, or I just have to abstain from that. Um, from that. Right. And pe- people get really upset in a coaching environment when there's a, a point where they might have to abstain temporarily or forever from an activity, from something that they're doing that's mm-hmm. not good for them. Yeah. Well, you know, it brings up Gretchen Rubin's work um, in, she wrote a, one of her first books, I think it's called Better Tomorrow. I, I can't remember the name of the book, but she talks about a concept of, are you an abstainer or a moderator? Mm. The moderator if you tell the moderator that they can't have chocolate anymore, all they think about is having chocolate. They can't <laughs> stop thinking about chocolate because all they need is a square and they're fine. And, and that's, that's their wiring. That's how they are. The abstainer is what we were just talking about. The abstainer yeah. is someone that the minute they start eating chocolate, it's game over. They will yeah. not be able to stop. And so that the abstainer knows that they're better off not having it at all than starting. And, and the interesting thing is that you can be an abstainer or a moderator about different things in your life. So a big part of coaching, and I'm sure you found this yourself, Jill, is helping people to become aware of their own patterns and know your, to get to know yourself a little better, not so that you can berate yourself or beat yourself up, but just so that you can be aware of these are my kind of triggers. This is where Mm -hmm. I kind of fall off. And these are the strategies I'm going to be, I'm going to develop so that I can manage these things better. Exactly. I have a, uh, a young woman um, as a client who is pregnant with her third baby. And every time she makes the snacks and lunch for her kids who are under four, she, they get up and leave 30 seconds later and she's left with the chicken nuggets and the French fries and the chips <laughs> and the little, you know, gummy beers and all this stuff. And she just picks it off mindlessly. And yeah. so we, we came up with strategies on how to abstain from that activity, from that behavior. And it's worked yeah. for her. She has to remove herself from the kitchen, have a talk with herself, a couple deep breaths <laughs> and come back in with a whole new attitude. But you're, you're totally right. You know, like you have to come up with these strategies if you want. You know, if, if the pro, if the pros of that activity, um, of changing that behavior outweigh the cons for you. For sure. And I also think in a case like that, you know, it begs the question, do your kids need chicken nuggets, French fries, and gummy (laughs) bears? Maybe they should be having, 
apples and veggies and right. you know little little bits of meat or chicken or whatever so exactly. anyway that's but yeah. you know like it's it it's always leads to a bigger discussion and you know it amazes me sometimes that you'll i remember even when my son was small i would go to someone's house and they would have a whole cupboard full of junk food and i'd be like well why do you even have that and they're like well they love it and and they need it like they need to have this and i'm like well actually they don't need right, it right. and right. not that you should deprive them of it but why would you make it a daily habit in your life if right. if it's setting them up for for habits down the road right right, so, right and not to demonize food at all because i'm not big on telling anybody in, whether it's a kid or an adult this food is bad or this food right. is you know, it, it, that never really leads to anything great, but understanding the value of different things and that yes. there's some things we're going to want to have really less often and yeah, other yeah. things that we want to make our core is, I think when they're two, three, and four is the best time to like, just besides you, you're the boss, you get to decide, right? It's just like that. Absolutely. That reel that's going around right now, right? Have you made people? I've made people and I'm their leader, <laughs> right? And I'm their leader. So if I'm their leader, I get to decide. <laughs> I, I was the mom who made everything. Everything was organic and gluten-free and sugar-free. And my youngest one, who we were just talking about, used to bring friends over and he would walk in the door with a new friend and he'd say, mom, this is Joey. Joey, this is my mom. We don't have sugar, dairy, gluten. <laughs> I mean, he was like five years old. I'm like, all right, Simon, chill out. <laughs> like, yeah, like gonna, let's not talk gonna, about what we don't have. What yeah, would you gonna, like? You're going to scare the kid. Joey's never going to come over again. Exactly. <laughs> but what we're talking about here are easy, accessible biohacks, lifestyle. These are the things that cost us nothing, mm -hmm. right? Healthy food, living an active lifestyle versus a sedentary lifestyle, getting proper sleep, turning off those screens and, and getting in bed at a nice hour and getting up, getting sunlight, right? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about all these really cool biohack things going on that I know you've got so much access to and so much knowledge on, um, and, the, and they can be costly. Well, they're um, in, they're in, we call them an investment. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But so tell us about some of these really intriguing biohacks out there, such as peptide therapy. Okay. Yeah. Well, so peptide therapy is kind of 3.0 stuff. So before you get to peptide therapy, there's definitely, um, lots you can do. So let's say that you struggle to turn your computer off at night or get away from the TV at a good time, you can buy yourself a pair of glasses called blue blockers. And blue blo what blue blockers will do is they will cut out the blue light spectrum coming from your screens because that blue light, which isn't bad, what it is, is it's the wrong light at the wrong time. And what it does is it signals your brain that it's wakey, wakey time, and it is not time to make melatonin and you need melatonin for healthy sleep. But you know, what people don't realize is that melatonin is an incredibly powerful home hormone. It's a very powerful antioxidant. It's anti-cancer. It's like, it's so many things. Our ability to make melatonin declines as we age. So getting those blue blockers in is going to at least protect your body's ability to make the as much melatonin as you can for your age. The next graduation up from that would be, okay, well, even with my blue blockers, maybe I'm not making enough melatonin. So then you might decide to use a melatonin supplement. 
knowing your genetics around melatonin supplementation is a good idea because some people mm-hmm. are slow metabolizers of melatonin and some people are fast metabolizers of melatonin. Correct. If you're a fast metabolizer of mel- melatonin, you might take melatonin early in the evening. It may help you to stay asleep um, for a certain period of time. But if you're churning through it really fast, you might wake up at two, at two or three o'clock in the morning. So what you might need is a delayed release melatonin that will stay in your system longer so that right around that 2, 3 a.m. period where you're about to rise up, it Mm -hmm. will release right around then and it'll help you to kind of coast through that period. Um, But taking it up another notch, and so I just thought I would do it this way, right? No, this is great. your, your Your first attack is turn the damn TV off. Your second attack is wear your blue blockers. Number three, which you can also do with any of the others, is you might use low dose melatonin to see if that's helpful. You'll either use a time release if you're slow, a fast metabolizer, or you'll use a fast release if you're a slow metabolizer, because if you're a slow metabolizer and you use the slow release, what's going to happen is you're going to have melatonin in your, in your system in the morning. So you're going to have a heck of a time getting out of bed and you're going to feel sluggish. And in people who are slow metabolizers who are using too much melatonin, they can start to develop things like depression or they're very sluggish during the day because there's, they just can't push through. It almost creates a brain fog for them. Taking it to the next level, which is now more advanced, as you will, we'll get into the world of peptides. And in the world of peptides, we have a class of peptides called bioregulator peptides. And these are really interesting peptides because they're very, very small. They are actually, they originate from the glands, tissues, and organs of animals. And there is a peptide called epitalon or epitalon. Mm-hmm. It's also called endolutin or epithalamin, depending on what form you're getting. Um, but epitalon is the, a peptide that helps to rejuvenate the pineal gland. Your pineal gland is this little tiny pine nut sized gland in the center of your brain that senses it is the master circadian clock regulator of your body. It's also considered by many as the master endocrine regulator of the body because it controls or it, it kind of regulates the circadian rhythm of all of the organs in your body. And mm-hmm. every organ has a different circadian rhythm, every cell. So different cells do different things at different times, which is why it's so important to get that sleep that is so right. restful because that's the only way all of those things are going to happen. The other thing that the pineal gland does is it makes melatonin as we age, we make less melatonin and we need that melatonin to rejuvenate, to restore. We need melatonin so that we make growth hormone at night and growth hormone is what allows us to rejuvenate and restore ourselves from the day, whether it's a workout or regular wear and tear. And I think, you know, like an analogy I like to give my clients is when you're sleeping and you think nothing's going on is actually where everything's going on. When we talk about beauty sleep, we're not kidding because it's when you're sleeping that the body is restoring itself. And that's, you know, for your skin and and your internal organs, everything's happening while you're sleeping. Right. Anyway, going back to Epitalon, Epitalon helps to rejuvenate the pineal gland. And if we can rejuvenate that pineal gland, we're going to see improvements in sleep, we're going to see improvements in recovery. We're going to see a resetting of circadian cycle. We're even going to see an improvement in immune function. And all of the downstream effects that we see from the pineal gland is all related to better sleep and better function. And epitalon also has receptors in different parts of the body. It has receptors on the thymus gland. And our thymus gland, we know 
involutes as we age, meaning it stops it by as of the age of 30, it starts to turn into fat. And so we lose access to that very critical piece of our immune system. This is why we talk about elderly people not having an appropriate response to a flu vaccine, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's because their immune system isn't able to mount a healthy response to that to that stimulus, if you will. So if we can restore function to the thymus gland, if we can give people back that proper immune response, whether you believe in vaccines or not, and we're not even going to go there, if you did decide to have a vaccine, you would have a better response to that vaccine because you would, your immune system would be better off. If you chose not to have a vaccine, well, your immune system might be in better shape so that it could deal with whatever is coming its way. So that epitalon pineal bioregulator is now becomes the, our next level hack for restoring melatonin, restoring normal circadian rhythm, and as a result, improving so many different things in the body. Well, I want to back up a little bit on peptide therapy. Yeah. For my listeners listening who have never even heard of peptides, peptide therapy, give us the one-on-one on that. Okay. So peptides is basically a word for small protein. Proteins are made up of amino acids. Amino acids are these, if you think of Lego, right? Mm -hmm. You remember every dot in Lego, think of that as an amino acid. It's a building block of proteins. So then mm -hmm. if you have a string of 10 little one dots, that's a, that's a peptide that's 10 amino acids long. That makes sense, right? So yep. when you eat food, you break it down, you break it down into amino acids, but there are amino acid chains that are we call peptides. Peptides are typically, depending on who you talk to, they're either they're either as no longer than fifty amino acids long, or some people will consider a hundred amino acids or less. It, you know, we're starting to split hairs at that point. Basically, they're itty bitty, teeny tiny proteins. <laughs> the bioregulator peptides are a class of peptides that are only two to four amino acids long. In the peptide world, when we're talking about the peptides that I'll talk about in a minute, these are more signaling molecules. So these are proteins that are naturally occurring in our body, but that have been isolated in labs. And people have kind of figured out, oh, this one flips a switch for that. That one initiates this cascade. And so there's over 7,000 peptides have been identified in the human body. And so we haven't figured out what all of them do. We don't necessarily know how all of them work, but there are now a, there's now a growing list of these peptides that we now understand trigger really important processes in the body. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the most commonly known is, which, I mean, guys, if you don't know this, it's not that you've been living under a rock. Like, I mean, I'm saying commonly known, this is in, you know, the science, right. the propeller heads of the universe people like me who just kind of fall into rabbit holes on a regular right, basis. Right. Um, so the most commonly known would be one called BPC-157. BPC starts for body protective compound 157. Mm -hmm. BPC-157 was originally isolated from gastric juice. And I actually think it was originally, originally isolated from gastric juice by, um, I think it was Louis Pasteur who was doing all these experiments on dogs and their mm. digestion, but he didn't know what they were doing at the time, right? And they didn't exactly understand what they had in their hands. But basically what, what BPC-157 is, it's naturally occurring in our own gastric juice. And when it's applied to the body therapeutically, it is incredible at healing 
anything that's going on in the GI tract. So leaky gut, um, anything like from, from the entrance of the digestive tract down to the bottom, they've done, mm -hmm. they did experiments on rats with anal fissures and BPC-157 was magic at healing those anal fissures. It is incredible for Crohn's and colitis. I mean, it won't do it alone, right? But as part of a therapy, what it does is it upregulates those healing processes in the body to heal that endothelium of the GI tract. What's amazing about BPC-157 is it's also really powerful at helping to heal musculoskeletal issues. It's also very powerful for the brain. So it's protective from TBIs. It's protective for the nervous system. It, I call it kind of like the Model T Ford, the blue Model T Ford mm. of the peptide world, because it does so many different things. Like another thing that it does is it, is it increases the expression of growth hormone receptors at the site of like muscles and tendons and things. So that means that when we see someone who has a musculoskeletal injury, so, you know, an injury in a muscle or a tendon or a ligament, and they've, they've have a lot of pain when we use BPC-157, we will sometimes also use another peptide, which is from a category called growth hormone secretagogues. Mm -hmm. So these are peptides that signal the brain, the centers in the brain that are responsible for making growth hormone, they will signal those centers to make and release more growth hormone. And so if we use the two together, we now get an upregulation of growth hormone secretion from the brain, mm -hmm. and we get an upregulation of these catcher's mitts looking for the BPC-157 so that when the BPC-157 hits the receptor, it's now going to upregulate repair in that area. That is so cool. And when you put <laughs> these together, that's called stacking peptides, correct? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Really, really incredible. So my personal experience with using a peptide was with PT-141. Interesting. Which if, if you've never heard <laughs> of that one, that one, um, I used for libido. Yeah. And so what it's really, what, what's really cool about it is that when men take like Cialis or Viagra that works on their vascular system mm -hmm. or PT-141 works on your nervous system. Yeah. So when men take the little blue pill, they don't have any feeling. There's no um, emotional connection to their partner based on the fact that they now have a, you know, hard penis, right? Yeah, a working part. <laughs> exactly. But with PT-141, that's about your libido. It's about the, the warmness, the connectedness you feel with the other person. And when women are going through perimenopause and menopause, or maybe they've just given birth, like there's so many there's so many reasons out there that men and women lose their libido, stress, sedentary mm -hmm. lifestyle, whatever. For me, it was going through menopause. Sure. And so I tried it out, but it did not, it, and I used the basal delivery. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing. These peptides delivery um, systems can be through very small, thin needles. They can be pills, they can be topical, and then they have the, the nasal sprays. I don't know if I left any out, um, but I used the nasal spray. It really didn't, it had a great effect on my, um, my boyfriend, <laughs> like within minutes, but it had, it took hours, sometimes a day for it to kick in and work for me. So it's not something I use anymore, but that was my experience with it. Yeah. And that's, that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, PT-141 works for men and women, which is mm -hmm. why it is yeah. now a registered drug in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work the same for everybody. Sometimes you have to load it. 
So you have to use it for a few days in a row before it, it you know, the, the thing about peptides and particularly PT-141 is the response time and the degree of response really varies from person to person. Women tend to need a lot more than men. Mm-hmm. But what I will also say is that you can't just go in all hot and heavy on PT-141 because if you use too much too soon, you're going to get really nauseous because it's yep. hitting the alpha MSH receptors in the brain. And yep. those guys also regulate satiety. They also regulate melanin. So what's really, you know, if anybody wants to, is kind of wants to geek out on PT-141 with me, PT-141 is part of a family of the melanotan receptors of the mm-hmm. melanotan family. So we have melanotan one and melanotan two. Right. Well, melanotan two is the Barbie doll peptide. Melanotan two will upregulate melanin production. So it'll make you tan, but it will also as a sidebar suppress appetite. It can cause nausea. It can also increase libido. PT-141 is like the business piece of melanotan two that is more responsible for libido, but it will also do the other things secondarily. So, so a big thing with, with the peptides is finding the right dose and the right application for you and having that kind of biohackers mindset where you have a journal, you write down what you're doing, you track your response, and then you start to fiddle. And the fiddling is the big thing. You got to have patience. Unfortunately, what happens so often with PT-141 is people get their hands on it and they call up their significant other and they're like, baby, we're (laughs) going to have a great night tonight. And then they, 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 whether they use it through subcutaneous injection, as you were referring to, which is really, it's like an insulin needle. It's into the belly fat, usually sometimes, you know, different parts of the body into the fat. Um, so whether they use it as a subcutaneous injection or as an intranasal spray, they kind of, kind of, you know, do the thing and then they're like, right. okay, and they wait and then they wait yeah. and then they wait. And yep. you know, the bad news is you get one guy who's like raring to go. And the other person's like, I got nothing. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, can you just hang on a few minutes here? Like, yeah, give, yeah. give me, give me a few hours actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another peptide I'm really curious about is the, GHKCU. Yeah. Tell us about that one. So GHKCU is really an interesting peptide. It is, um, it's called, it's the copper, people refer to it as the copper peptide and copper because the CU is the, it's the, it's the symbol for on the, um, on the table of elements, it's the symbol for copper. And so GHK is the peptide. CU is the copper molecule yeah, that yeah. the peptide needs to be activated. So you can use GHK CU just as GHK, and then it will bind to copper in your body, or you can apply it as GHK CU. And now you're bringing it into the body with the copper. So one thing I would say is I've seen people use quite a lot of GHKCU for some interesting, you know, for different disorders. The challenge is that if you're not keeping an eye on your copper levels and importantly, also your zinc levels, it can really throw those ratios off and then it can cause other problems. But the cool thing about GHKCU and the reason why so many women are so interested in it Mm -hmm. is because its wrap is that it is magical for skin. It's to skin rejuvenation and anti-aging what um, BPC-157 is to repair in the whole body. The interesting thing about GHKCU is that I think it was Stanford University that did a study on it and noted, and noted that it flips 
I think it was, and I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have to look this up again because somewhere along the way, it's either up to 4,000 or around a thousand different genes in the body. And it flips them up or down, depending on which is the best um, setting for it. So it's really cool. I think we don't know. We, we barely know, we barely scratch the surface on what we know about GHKCU. But what we do know is it's really good for healing of scars. So it seems to help to realign scar tissue so that it minimizes the amount of scars. It is really great for skin health and for skin rejuvenation. It can be used by subcutaneous injection. The only thing that I will also say is the best results that were found in mice right? So a lot of these peptides, just so you know, guys, if you go looking in PubMed or any of these places for mm -hmm. research, it's, it's changing now. There's more and more human studies, but historically a way more, the lion's share of studies have been done on animals. So we know that like, for example, there's a peptide, peptide called AOD 9604, which the AOD stands for anti-obesity drug 9604. It's an analog of growth hormone as well. Well, so here's the good news. It was magical for weight loss in bunnies. Like those bunnies lost weight, like nobody's business. Didn't translate over to humans. Mm. For reasons nobody really knows. Now, I don't know why. Oh, well, I do know why. What some scientists said is, hey, this is kind of a growth hormone analog. What happens with AOD 9604 if we were to take our bunnies that have arthritis in their knees and inject it into their knees? Would it help resolve their arthritis? Well, it turns out that AOD 9604 with hyaluronic acid, if you can find a physician who works with these things, they can inject that into an arthritic joint and it can help to reverse the arthritis in that joint. Mm. Anyway, going back to our GHK, GHK can be used topically on skin. Um, it can be used for burns. It can be used, but it also helps to heal tissues. And so very often you're going to get people with lax ligaments that will um, because it upregulates the production of collagen, they will stack BPC-157 and GHKCU. Um, you will know when you're buying a beauty product, more and more now we're starting to see it pop up in beauty lines. Yeah. There's a website called reverseskinaging.com. And that website belongs to Dr. Lauren Pickard. And he's the doctor that actually discovered GHKCU. He's currently oh, wow. writing yeah, he's currently writing a book. So he will not do podcast interviews because he very grumpily said to me in an email, I don't have time for podcasts. I'm 83 years old. I don't have much time left. I need to finish my book. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but what if you die? Like, wouldn't you want to at least do a podcast and tell people about what you're right, writing? About? Right. <laughs> anyway, be that as it may, he's created a laundry list of lotions and potions and serums that is kind of dizzying in its array. So if you go to that website, your best bet is to call that 1-800 number. And he's got these lovely ladies that answer the phone and will tell you, will work with you to figure out what you should buy. Oh, but wow. I'll, I'll put that for sure in the show notes for everybody listening. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another line. Um, I just put out a podcast with a company called Young Goose uh, yeah. just this last week. They have GHKCU in some of their formulations. So if anybody's interested, you can listen to that episode. It's 71. Um, and I've been using their products for a while now. I used... I used uh, the reverse skin aging stuff for about a year and a half. And I, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I would say the young goose and one other product I've been using that doesn't have GHKCU actually um, have actually made the biggest difference for me. But what I was going to say about GHKCU, you know, you have GHKCU when your product is blue. 
So young goose is the exception because they have other ingredients in there that offset the blue. But generally speaking, when you go to Dr. Pickard's um, website, you will notice Mm -hmm. that a lot of the serums are cobalt blue, and that is Mm. the blue of the copper. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. Being that I'm going through menopause and I have a lot of clients going through menopause, what, um, what would be a great peptide to incorporate for hair thinning, hair shedding, hair loss? Okay. So for menopause, what I would say first is get your hormones looked at. Yeah. I mean, for starters, right. Um, I think that I wouldn't look at a peptide necessarily. I would look at something else. Um, I would look at a product at a, at a compound called spermidine. Mm-hmm. And it's a call, the product, the specific product is called primadine. Uh, so P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E, primadine. You can go to primadine.com. I've got a podcast with Leslie Kenny, and this goes back to last, this time last year, December 17th, mm-hmm. which is when, not long after they launched. And spermidine is a really interesting compound. It is naturally occurring in our bodies. It is naturally occurring in food. But there's something about taking it as a supplement that for starters, it hits six of the nine hallmarks of aging. So it upregulates autophagy. Autophagy is that cellular cleanup that your cells have to do to rejuvenate. Um, It helps with nutrient sensing of the cells. It helps to protect your DNA. As a matter of fact, we find spermidine with sperm. And the theory is that it's there to protect that genetic material as it's going on its journey to make a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but taking that supplement, not only does it hit the six hallmarks of aging, but interestingly enough, a lot of people will report that number one, they have massive improvements in their sleep and that their hair, skin and nails is huge improvements. And again, spermidine is something I've been using for a year. So, you know, for me, I don't know how much of what is going on here, but I know that spermidine has been a big piece of it. And I know that my mom, who's 80, well, she was 82 last year when she started using spermidine within three months, I get a call from her because she'd been losing her hair. And she's like, is there any, and my poor mother's always taking something new. You can only imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. So both my parents and I'm, I said, you know, she goes, is it possible that that pill that you're having me take did something to my hair. And I'm like, you know, you momentarily kind of have a moment of panic. You're like, did what to your hair? And she goes, well, it's growing back. And yes, because what spermidine does is it elongates the telogen phase of the hair, which means Mm. it takes longer to lose the hair. There's more time for the hair to grow. So a lot of people notice that their eyelashes get thicker, their hair gets better. Um, What I did with my mom, to be fair, is I double dosed her and my dad for the first 60 days. So instead of taking three pills once a day at night, they were taking three twice a day. Um, But, you know, um, what I would say is for people who track their sleep, which is another big part of the biohacking movement, as you know, um, they will notice that they have better deep sleep when they take spermidine. So interesting for hair loss and growth. What I'd say is look at your hormones, look at your digestion, make sure you're digesting protein properly. And you know, more than anybody thyroid is a massive piece of hair. Um, but then spermidine, I would go to spermidine before I went to a peptide personally. Interesting. 
I love that. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes for everybody. Um, well, we're coming to an end. I have so many more questions for you, but we're going to have to do another podcast because this is all so interesting. I could go over every peptide and ask questions about them, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm actually working on a peptide course. So ah. at some point, and okay. the problem is I just keep getting distracted with other projects. Yes. I yes. keep getting, I keep, you know, I keep getting pulled off on different things, but I, at some point in the next couple of months, I'm going to be putting out like an intro to peptides course. So, oh, great. so if people want to, if they go to my, my website, natnidham.com and would sign up for my newsletter or join the Facebook group, if they're not yeah. adverse, I know people are crazy. You know, I personally yeah. don't even like Facebook. If I didn't have such a big community there, I'd be on Facebook. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, or they can join the group and that's how they'll be able to tell. And if this podcast is coming out next week, there's also a free peptide summit happening. Uh, it starts actually on December 7th. It runs from the 7th to the 14th. Um, so you could, and it's free online there's a link to join the peptide summit. I'll give it to you when we get okay. off, you can add Great. it to the show notes um, and they'll have an encore weekend. So even if this podcast comes out a few days after it starts, yeah. people will still get the benefit of the last few days. And then Great. there's the, the, they always do like um, a recap weekend where you can rewatch the ones that you missed. Yeah. A couple quick questions before we say goodbye. Peptides you must go through a peptide trained provider, right? This is not something you can just go online and, and order. And if you can, is that safe? So, yeah, I mean, that's a complicated question. I mean, definitely you want guidance, right? A big part of the reason why this Facebook group exists is because there are a lot of people in this world who can't afford the types of providers who do prescribe peptides, they take matters into their own hands, they're biohackers, they're curious people, they do a lot of their own research, and they're willing to take on the risk, if you will, yeah. or of doing peptides. I would say getting a certain amount of education before you go messing with peptides is a really good idea. Absolutely. So if you can afford a medical doctor who works with peptides, that's always going to be your best bet. The next level will be to at least find someone who can provide you with some guidance and some information yeah. about peptides so that you're not flying completely blind. If you have all the time in the world, look, there's a ton of YouTube videos. There's a lot of my podcasts that are about peptides, which is why I started the podcast in the first place. Um, there's the Facebook group that I run. I offer, you know, consults to help orient people around peptides. So there's that next level of, of educating yourself around peptides. If you, if from the time that you're not going through a medical doctor, those guys can actually order peptides from compounding pharmacies which are FDA approved. The challenge right. with that is the FDA is now starting to remove a lot of peptides out of off the list of things, compounds that um, compounding pharmacies can use because right. either they've been uh, taken up by a drug company or they're being classified as bio, bio, biologics. Like it's, it's getting right. a little bit messy out there. Yeah. You can find peptides online, but I would say before you go buying peptides online, you need to must, must, must vet who that supplier is. There are a lot, there's a lot of cheap stuff out there. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff that's coming out of countries that are not all that vigilant about quality control. So yeah. for me, 
I have a provider in Canada who ships worldwide, who I know personally, frankly, he's been my mentor for the last couple of years on peptides. And so I trust this guy implicitly. I've been to the, I've been to their lab. I've met the biochemist. Like I know these guys, I know they know what they're doing. I know what they're making. It's clean. Like I have a hundred percent faith in them. So if you can't, if you're not going to get it from a compounding pharmacy, find someone who knows what they're doing and find out where do they get their product and yep. don't go for the cheapest stuff you can find. Cause you can absolutely go on Alibaba and get BPC 157 for five bucks for 10 milligrams. And I can almost promise you that at least half the time it's going to cause a problem. And once you're, introducing, once you're introducing something like that into your body, right. for me, it's not worth it. But that's, and, it, and this is something I always talk about with my clients and on my shows is what's good for your neighbor or good for the, your, your yoga buddy or good for your training partner is not good for you. Mm-hmm. And just reading an article and reading that it's a miracle drug for this and that doesn't make it right for you. And supplements mm-hmm. really should be based on blood work. And what we talked about in the beginning is finding out all of this information, do the discovery part first, yeah. and work with a provider, someone who can guide you, who has that knowledge, because you can run into trouble. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if you have a complex medical condition, peptides can be, can be really helpful, but that's yeah. when, I mean, I don't even, I won't take people like that. What I will do right. with people like that is I will refer them out to other people. Right. Like if, if for me, if I can't help someone and there are a lot of people I can't help because of what I do. Yeah. I, what I've been able to do is develop a certain network of physicians and practitioners, and I will move yeah. people out to people who can help them because, yeah. you know, the worst thing is the, the only thing worse than not getting help is getting help from someone who's not qualified, who thinks Absolutely. they know what they're doing. So right. anyway. Yeah. So a couple quick questions. What are three things folks can do right now, starting today to enhance their longevity? Hmm. Well, this is going to be boring, folks. I'm sorry. But right now, (laughs) what you can do to enhance your longevity is make sure that you're getting enough good quality sleep and stop at nothing, whether it's getting, you know, an Uller for your mattress, you know, whatever it takes and get quality sleep. Is it It not the best? It's the best. It's a game. Life changing. Life changing. So uh, what, she, what she's talking about is this <laughs> mat. It, it's like a mattress pad and it goes um, underneath your, your top sheet and you put water in these two, um, one or two um, vestibules and it filters in cold water and on your phone, you can, let, let's say you, you sleep with your husband or your wife or your partner, you can manage your side at a different temperature than your partner's side. So for especially women going through menopause, it's just been a game changer for me. I'm always nice and cool in my bed. Yeah. So it runs cold water through that yeah, pad. Yeah, so yeah. that draws yeah. the heat away from your body. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. so quality sleep, yeah. um, getting outside, yeah, for seeing, sure. you know, seeing the light without your sunglasses on for the love of God, like take the sunglasses off at least some of the time, unless you're driving into the sunset, admittedly, yeah. but try to get out there first thing in the morning, try to get out there in the middle of the day, allow the sun's rays to communicate with your brain, to help it to orient itself, to get that circadian rhythm 
lined up because a misaligned circadian rhythm is aging in and of itself. Um, And I guess what's number three going to be? Can I have four? I can have four. (laughs) Okay. Number four, number three is going to be eating the right diet for you. So eating a varied diet, but finding that right diet that's going to work for your body based on your goals and where you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number four, I'm going to say is movement and exercise is yeah, you got to move. You yeah. absolutely have to move. And I guess I'll add number five, which is learning to manage your stress because we're not, we've never lived. Well, I don't know. I would say that for our generation, this is the most stressful time that we've been through. We have, you know, we don't know, we've never been through, I mean, in North America, we haven't been through a war. There's plenty right. of people in the world who've been through wars and catastrophes. But for this generation of, of our peers, this is probably the most stressful time we've ever been through. It's not going to change anytime soon. So learning to manage that stress so that it doesn't affect us and affect our health is probably one of the most important things we can do. And I'll leave you with this. In um, one, of the, one of the people that I interviewed about bioregulator peptides, he, he does protocols with people and bioregulators to help reverse their biological age. And there were a certain, there were a few people, um, and you'll find those in my podcast, but there were a few people that really didn't do that well. They didn't reverse their biological age. And so I asked him, I said, so what is it about those four people? And he said, well, I know every one of these people personally. And the, the truth of these people is they're living through very, very incredible stresses that they're not dealing with properly. And that literally prevented, even in spite of the bioregulators, that prevented the lengthening of the telomeres, that prevented that age reversal. So stress, chronic, uncontrolled stress on your body. And I'm not saying that it's not, and I'm not talking about outside of you. I'm talking about how you are able to manage how this stress affects you, which is in your control, is probably one of the most important things you can do. Right. I think it's really important that whatever journey you're going on, how, how interest, however interest, whatever interest you have in peptides and all these really cool biohacking therapies out there, the number one thing to do before you start anything is getting your lifestyle down. Absolutely. I can't I, agree with you more. What is your why? Why do you want to get from A to, to Z? What are the steps you're going to take? And, and, how committed are you going to be or else spending all that money and all that time and all that energy on that stuff really isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. For sure. For sure. And you've got to, you've got to affect the, you've got to hit the basics, right? You got to hit the diet, like just those five things, right? You got to hit the five pillars and then the peptides and whatnot can do their magic. I mean, which isn't to say they can't give you a foothold in some cases, even before then, but you're going to get your best results if you're taking care of everything at the same time. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to share this with my listeners. And you can find Natalie at uh, natnidham.com, correct? Yeah. And then your IG is Natalie Nidham and your Facebook group. And I'm going to put all of this information in the show notes on how people can listen to your podcast, join your Facebook group and find you and um, possibly come to you and get some help on peptide therapy. Thanks so much, Jill. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Have a great holiday season. Thank you. You as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, 
you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.